You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter and the creator of the website, MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Today's program is on a topic that I've been wanting to do a show on for some time. Uh, It's Our Lady of Good Success. Now, most Catholics are not familiar with this devotion and the fascinating story surrounding it. Our Lady of Good Success appeared on several occasions to Mother Mariana de Jesus Torres in Quito, Ecuador, in the early 17th century. It's actually the very first formal approval of an apparition of a bishop by a bishop in history. Now, uh, devotees of Our Lady of Guadalupe may be questioning that, but the Guadalupe apparition happened in 1531, and it wasn't formally approved until 1666. So Our Lady of Good Success received the approval of the local bishop in 1611 and 1634, so that was the very first one in history. We'll be talking today with Matthew Arnold, creator of the Lighthouse Media piece entitled Our Lady of Good Success, made known for our times, and Joe Tremblay from the Department of the New Evangelization from the Diocese of Green Bay. They'll be guiding us through the history of this fascinating apparition with its miracles and prophecies, and we'll be talking about the implications for the world today. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is is honored as the Madonna of the Frost on today, April 8th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project uh, can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. Now, today in Miracle News, we have a story that actually involves lack of miracles. Uh, The Pope recently announced that he will be canonizing three saints in April by what is called equivalent canonization. Uh, That's the waiving of the usual requirement of miracles. Pope Francis uh, recently told uh, this group of Spanish bishops that he would canonize three saints by equivalent canonization on April 2nd, according to a report from a Spanish diocesan website. Uh, The three are Blessed José de Anchieta, he's a Spanish uh, Jesuit missionary to Brazil, Blessed Marie of the Incarnation, uh, who introduced the Ursuline Order in Canada, and Blessed Francois de Laval, the first bishop of Quebec. So those are the three getting canonized. In an equivalent canonization, it's a procedure described as Pope Benedict XIV in the 18th century, and it's where the Pope waives the usual judicial process and declares that a blessed liturgical cult is extended to the universal church. Pope Benedict canonized St. Hildegard of Bingen by an equivalent canonization in 2012, and Pope Francis canonized St. Angela 
of Foligno and Peter Faber by equivalent canonization in year 2013. Um, a quote from Cardinal Angelo Amato, who's the prefect of the Congregation for the Causes of the Saints, he said, equivalent canonization, although not frequent, is not rare in the Church, and the best known of these equivalent canonized saints are Gregory VII, Gertrude of Helfta, Peter Damien, Cyril and Methodius, St. John Damascene, the Venerable Bede, Albert the Great, Thomas Moore, and John of Avila. So some very big names in that list of equivalent canonizations. Also in Miracle News today, we've got a story uh, that related, that's related to Our Lady of Cabejo, which is the Church-approved apparitions occurring in the 1980s in Rwanda following the genocide there, or related to the genocide there. Um, it was being reported today on the Catholic News Service and other Catholic news outlets. Uh, there was a meeting with the Rwanda bishops with uh, the Pope for their ad limina visit on Thursday, and Pope Francis urged them to be a- agents of reconciliation, commending them to the Marian apparition at Cabejo, which is, was located in the south of Rwanda. So this is uh, the apparitions that predicted the, the Rwandan genocide. One of the quotes that was, say, was said was, Rwanda will in a few days commemorate the 20th apparition of the horrible genocide which has brought such suffering and wounds which are still far from healed. The Pope continued, he said, I join with all my heart in mourning. I assure you of my prayers for yourselves and for your torn communities, for all victims and their families, for all Rwandans without distinction of religion, ethnicity, or political affiliation. April 7, 1994, was the first of 100 days in which the Hutus in Rwanda massacred the rival tribe, the Tutsi. Up to one million Rwandans were killed. Most of them were Tutsi. And Pope Francis continued, he said, I commend you all to the maternal protection of the Virgin Mary. I sincerely hope that the Shrine of Cabejo might radiate even more love of Mary for her children, especially the poorest and most injured, and be for the Church in Rwanda and beyond a call to turn with confidence to Our Lady of Sorrows, who accompanies each of us on our way, that we might receive the gift of reconciliation and peace. Now, he noted that reconciliation and healing uh, is a priority for the Church in Rwanda, and he encouraged everyone to persevere in this endeavor for peace and recovery, uh, for which they've already taken many initiatives. He said... Entrusting them to Mary, he reminded them that she appeared in your country to children, reminding them of the efficacy of fasting and of prayer, and in particular, the recitation of the rosary. And of course, when a pope writes a prayer and asks for the intercession of Our Lady under the title of an apparition, it is yet another sign of the Church's highest levels of approval. To keep up to date with the latest in miracle news, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports of the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. Now we turn to our 
email inbox, the mailbag for today's question of the day. The question is, Dear Miracle Hunter, you have quite an impressive list of saints beautifully displayed. I wonder if you might answer a question that has stumped me for some time. Do you know if there are any saints who saw an apparition as a child and were asked to suffer for God? Thank you, Jessica. Well, thank you, Jessica, for your excellent question. Uh, there may very well be a long list of saints with apparitions as children who later became victim souls, but the first one that comes to mind is St. Gemma Galgani. Gemma was born on March 2nd, 1878, in Camigliano, Italy. And soon after her birth, her family moved to Lucha, Italy, where she stayed for the rest of her life. Her mother, Aurelia, was a holy woman, and she died when Gemma was only eight years old. The loss of her mother at such a young age was really a point of suffering, a sword in her little heart. Uh, Eleven years later, at age 19, uh, she would also lose her father on top of that, leaving her and her brothers and sisters orphans. Not long after this, she became gravely ill with spinal meningitis, and she was bedridden and on the verge of death. And it was at this point that some extraordinary graces began to shower her life. St. Gabriel Pocenti uh, began to appear to her in a series of visions, and this is one of many visions that Gemma would experience in the course of her life. And he encouraged her and helped her to make a novena to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, uh, hoping for a cure. It was at this time that the doctors who were uh, with Gemma told her that uh, she was going to die. On March 3rd, 1899, Jesus appeared to Gemma and cured her on the last day of her novena, which coincided with the first Friday of the month, which, of course, is devoted to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It was at this time that Gemma began receiving interlocutions, the inner words of Jesus, and she began to see her guardian angel, who inspired and instructed her in her practice of virtues. A few months later, on the morning of June 8th, 1899, Gemma was enlightened during Holy Communion that she would soon be receiving a great grace from Jesus. That evening, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to her, along with her guardian angel. And it was at this point that Gemma began suffering as a victim soul for the conversion of sinners. She continued this extraordinary mission until the end of her life. At times, uh, the stigmata where it was appearing, as well as the crown of thorns, and also uh, the pain of scourging, and now that is well documented by her spiritual director, the Venerable Father Germanus. So thank you, Jessica, for your great question. And if you at home have a question for the Miracle Hunter, please email questions at miraclehunter.com, and we'll be selecting a question each week. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week I'll be giving away a prize for an answer to a Catholic trivia question. This week we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork, uh, The Faces of Mary. You can see it on the MiracleHunter.com homepage. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host trivia night fundraisers at local establishments. Uh, One of the things that we try to do with these questions is try to pair them with the theme of the day show. 
And, of course, we're going to be talking today about the apparitions of Our Lady of Good Success from Quito, Ecuador. So here's the question. One of the most recognizable images of Mary in history is from Quito, Ecuador in the 20th century. What was the famous miracle of this image of Our Sorrowful Mother? So again, that question is, one of the most recognizable images of Mary in history is also from Quito, Ecuador in the 20th century. It pictures Mary with seven swords in her heart. What was the famous miracle of this image of Our Sorrowful Mother? For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on my program or research on miracles, please visit miraclehunter.com. Each week, uh, we try to do a segment uh, entitled 365 Days with Mary, and that project looks at each and every day of the year and says that somewhere in the world that there's a Marian title, feast, or commemoration being celebrated. Now, it never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout the year, each day of the year, in fact. All the dates with their feasts are collected into one resource. That's 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description and history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information and links for those wishing to see those places. Projects available in print, and it's also online at 365 Days with Mary. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, you can automatically receive information about each feast day and learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she is honored around the world. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook, and visit the website, 365dayswithmary.com, to see the project. The print version makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. And today's devotion for April 8th, is the Madonna de la Brina, the Madonna of the Frost, from Basela, Italy. And the story goes like this. During the night between April 7th and 8th in the year 1356, a frost hit that affected most people in Bergamo and brought the gloomy prospect of famine. A sun, at sunrise in the morning, a sad girl of 15 years old, Marina Cassone, was going with a very heavy heart to see the damage caused by the frost in the surrounding areas, and especially the farmland that was her family's only source of income. The crops were destroyed. Seeing this pitiful sight, the girl broke down into tears, and she instinctively cried out, Mary, most holy virgin, help us. Well, Our Lady then appeared, taking the child's hand, and asked her softly, Marina, why are you crying? She said, look, dear lady, at all the frost damage. All the poor will starve, she replied. And Our Lady comforted her by saying, oh, no, no, the harvest will not be damaged, and it will be more abundant than in any other year. Marina insisted incredulously, but who are you? Our Lady continued, come back to this place in nine days, and I'll tell you everything. So nine days later, on April 17th, Marina promptly returned in the morning, and Our Lady came as promised, and she said, You have done well to keep the promise, Marina. I am the Mother of God and have appeared here to comfort you and your countrymen. Here was a church dedicated to me. Tell your countrymen to come here and to dig up 
the ground and find the ruins below. The girl was a little bit embarrassed, and she said, My lady, no one will believe me. The Blessed Mother then collected three stones and placed them on the ground and said, Under these stones in an altar dedicated, is an altar dedicated to me. Tell the young priest of the town to celebrate Mass here and devote every fortnight to renew here the holy sacrifice for the souls of those buried here. Well, the news quickly uh, flew around the town uh, through word of mouth, and the simple people began to believe the words of Marina, but some of the counselors and councils of the of the town there really didn't like the idea. So people came to that spot and began to dig below the three stones that Our Lady had set up as a guide, and before their eyes, they brought to light the altar and the ruins of an old church that was buried there for centuries. By carefully examining these facts, the Bishop of Bergamo, Lanfranco Silvestri, on May 1st of 1356, placed the first stone of a brand new shrine to Our Lady before a large crowd. And the enthusiasm was such that in just five months, the church was completed, and it became the spot of continuous pilgrimages. The faithful in solemn procession arrived in tens of thousands, walking barefoot everywhere, silently along the route as a sign of penance. Um, she, she had come to us as the mother of consolation. So there was a destruction of the church in 1784 uh, by the Venetian Republic, and then 100 years later the church was restored, and in 1920 the monastery was entrusted to the Passionist Fathers who take care of it. In 1921 the coronation of the statue happened at that sanctuary. So that was today's feast. Uh, be sure to visit the Project 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online with 365dayswithmary.com to find out more about the Our Lady of Frost devotion or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. You can call in with your questions, 866-333-MARY. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. And now we'll be talking about an apparition that not many people, not many Catholics are familiar with. It's called Our Lady of Good Success from Quito, Ecuador. And it happened in the 17th century and was experienced by the Venerable Mariana de Jesus Torres, and there are many prophecies and many miracles that are of great interest that are associated with this apparition. And today we'll be talking with Joe Tremblay, who is the Adult Faith Formation Coordinator in the Department of the New Evangelization for the Diocese of Green Bay. And he's a writer for the Catholic News Agency. Welcome to the show today, Joe. Hello. Oh, hello, Joe. Oh, hi. Uh, well, Thank you so much. So I uh, appreciate you making some time to, to help us uh, share the story of Our Lady of Good Success with, uh, with everyone. And, and like I mentioned before, not many people know about this uh, 17th century apparition. How, how did you come to, to know about it, and how did you come to have uh, an interest in it? Well, i tell you what, in our own diocese, uh, Bishop Bricken of uh, Green Bay had approved, um, after many, many years, over... 100, um, the apparition here in Champion, Wisconsin, it's about 15 minutes from, from Green Bay, right? of Our Lady of Good Help. And ever since he approved of that, and even before then, I was, it was devoted to her and had gone up there, and I've heard you know, a lot of miracles take place and also a lot of answered prayer. And um, 
And so uh, for the last, you know, two or three years, I've been, you know, traveling there, and we we did a walk uh, to Marriott's called, uh, this was sponsored by the diocese, where we walked from an abbey to the shrine of Our Lady of Good Help, and just been really involved. And what I've been doing as an adult faith formation coordinator is trying to promote her message in in my my talks. I go from parish to parish and give presentations and trainings and seminars and, and stuff like that. And one of the things that she asked us to do um, is to offer our communion for the conversion of sinners. You know, she appeared to a young woman named uh, Sister Adele in 1859, and then they had, 12 years later, the Peshtigo Fire. And um, and so there's been a, a big following. And and so because of my devotion to Our Lady of Good Help, uh, I someone you know had come to me and given me an article on Our Lady of Good Success, and I'm like, I never heard of Our Lady mm-hmm. of Good Success. And I would say it's much, you know, very similar to Our Lady of Good Help. Not a lot of people have heard about this. When I moved to Wisconsin from Washington, D.C., you know, that's the first I've heard about Our Lady of of Good Help. And so uh, after, you know, reading uh, about Our Lady of Good Success, I got a a CD by Matthew Arnold um, and the uh, Lighthouse Media uh, produces this the CD. It was a wonderful talk, and I got into um, into reading and studying the apparitions and, and to and to what happened there. And the reason why I, I'm really fascinated and very intrigued by Our Lady of Good Success is because uh, she talks about a restoration, you know, of the church, and you don't hear that very often in a lot of Marian apparitions. I don't, not sure if Our Lady of Fatima. Uh, referred to it. She, I think she did it indirectly when she said, my, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. Mm-hmm. But here, in a little bit more detail, and this is way back, of course, in the late 1500s, early 1600s, where she kind of lays out, um, in, in some detail at least, the restoration of the Church just when everything seems lost. And there's a number of predictions that she made, um, including uh, the, the fact that it, that apparition of Our Lady of Good Success, uh, very much like Our Lady of Good Help, would re- remain in obscurity until the late 20th century. Absolutely. And I think uh, there was a, an incredible number of uh, miracles and prophecies associated with it. Can we, can we go through some of these uh, more interesting of the uh, prophecies that she made for, for our times, in fact? Sure, sure. Well, I think uh, one that caught my attention, and it's because... You know, our Catholic leaders probably, well, in, in the 1800s and early uh, 20th century, 1900s, um, really warned about state-run education, uh, that is a, a secularized version, that it would be a menace to uh, the Catholic mission to save souls, and it would also endanger souls. And so I, I've been trying to, uh, when I go on different radio programs and also when I give talks, to remind people that one of the main nemesis of our Catholic mission to save souls is a a state-run education that is purely secular. And way back in the 1500s and 1600s, when she was, you know, talking to Venerable Mariana, she talked about how the effects of secular education would be one of the reasons why there'd be a, a drop and a drying up of priestly and religious vocations. 
And this is this is profound because back 400 years ago, you know, there was, at least in South America, there was no secular education as we know it today. And I'm convinced this is one of the things, one of the key instruments of uh, the world, Satan, if you will, um, to undermine God's work in the sanctification of souls. So that's that's one very key one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and another one is... And this is something um, that I have a real passion and interest about too. Is is promoting the religious life. Um, having studied church history over the last two thousand years, I have realized how um, monasteries and religious um, convents have contributed to building up a Christian civilization and culture of life. In the first thousand years, when martyrdom. Um, had dwindled down some. It was the monastics that kind of took the baton and and continue running with the with the torch, if you will. And mm-hmm. these monastic estates produce so many venues and institutions that serve humanity, that glorify God, like universal education that's sponsored by the church, orphanages, hospitals, and hospices. And so it was from all that spiritual activity that goes on at a monastery and a convent that spawned all these kind of like unintended consequences, so to speak. And Our Lady of Good Success said, listen, when you reduce these numbers, when you reduce the monasteries and the convents, then you're you're ushering in all these evils. It's because of the monasteries and the prayers that rise to heaven that we have harmonies between nations and a a reduction of wars, et cetera. She listed all these these plagues that we just um, take for granted. Um, and, and she says that, listen, if you knew the true value of what re- religious brothers and sisters and these monasteries do for humanity, not just the church, but humanity, itself, uh, you would pray that they would return, return in great numbers. Absolutely. And I, I believe that there was some message associated with Our Lady of Good Success uh, relating specifically to marriage. Can you talk a little bit about that and the implications uh, for marriage in the world today? Sure. She said, um, you know, with regard to marriage, that it would be it would be attacked, and in particular, uh, innocence with regard to children and modesty with women. Of course, men are included in this too. Um, will be will would be certainly undermined. And she she said that there would hardly be any virgin souls. So the general import of what she's saying is that purity will be greatly under attack. And it's because of that attack on purity and chastity that um, that marriages will also uh, be attacked in a very um, di- direct way. And r- right now, we're trying to deal as a church with the the increase of cohabitation and the decrease of marriages within, within the church. Um, the Diocese of Green Bay, over the last ten years, we have experienced a fifty percent drop in marriages. Uh, within the diocese itself, and I know that is reflective of what's going on in the nation. And so that, this is an alarming drop in the marriage rate, overall marriage rate. Mm-hmm. And of course, people are are just um, taking the easy way out because they don't know the beauty of marriage and the sacrament of matrimony. 
that they decide just to live together instead of make that solemn commitment before God. So this is uh, certainly one that um, that um, that has been under attack. Another uh, um, sacrament, she says, that is that will be under attack is the, is extreme unction or the last rites or the anointing of the sick, and this is because of a false sentimentality. And I guess if you would add an interpretation of that false sentimentality, is because. As Matthew Arnold said, there's a, a lot of people that believe you're just, you know, everybody's saved. Everybody's going to heaven. So so why would you need the apostolic pardon that's offered in the, the last rites or the last rites itself? Uh, if you've been to a, a funeral, uh, basically, you know, the, the trend is to, to canonize, mm-hmm. you know, the people that have, that are deceased, that, you know, they're, they're definitely in heaven and and as a result, um, we we don't pray for them as we should. Absolutely, um, I, I, I've seen that many times myself, and and that's a difficult thing. Um, now, going back to Our Lady of Good Success, yeah, um, are you able to uh, tell us a little bit about your work that you do for the uh, for Green Bay, the Diocese of Green Bay, and are are you able to bring the story of Our Lady of Good Success in your talks uh, to people? Yes, well, I've been focusing more on Our Lady of Good Help. Uh, sure. But the reason, but my my acquaintance with Our Lady of Good Success is relatively recent. It's only been within the last couple months, mm-hmm. and I have been here at the diocese, you know, sharing really, you know, uh, the good news of what Our Lady talks about. How when um, that is Our Lady of Good Success when when she. Um, when all seems lost, you know, she will trample Satan under her feet. And she gets into a little bit more detail, you know, in this particular apparition than in other apparitions, you know. So, and but the thing is, is that uh, another uh, detail that is really spelled out is that God will will test his uh, his Christians, his servants, and his friends in a, in a special way. And so that the Christians in the, uh, I don't know if it's the end times or right before her conquest, uh, will be, will be tested. Uh, but nonetheless, when, all, even when all seems lost, uh, we are to have unwavering confidence, um, in her victory. And that's, uh, that's something that we need to hold on to because, you know, when I go to, you know, from parish to parish and talk to so many Catholics, they can get real discouraged mm-hmm. about, um, you know, same-sex marriage and, and all the things that the church is being confronted with. And even when you watch a football game nowadays, you know, I was watching um, the, um, the the NCAA championship, uh, mm-hmm. you, you got to mute the the commercials because some of them are so bad, you know, so, you know, we're, we're up against a lot and these are just little jewels to hang on to, uh, that help us. So I, I'm starting to spread the word as much as I can, but it's always up in conjunction with what our lady of good help said to sister Odell. And, um, and I've been encouraging people to, you know, to be a victim. soul in the sense of offering up, you know, uh, every time you go to Mass, offer up the communion um, to for the conversion of sinners. And this is something that she asked us. It's a, it's a painless sacrifice, but it is a sacrifice. And this will I'm convinced this will lead to a, a deeper penitential spirituality where we can become more open to the crosses and the sacrifices that God gives us. Uh, Mother Mariana was was a victim soul, and she was asked to be that, just like you know the children at Fatima. 
And that's, that's I think, what is, she, that, that is what she's asking her children right now is, are you willing to pay the price? You know, uh, in addition to, you know, sharing the good news, are you willing to accept the sufferings that, that God wants to send you? And this is something that um, that kind of that resonates also through Sister Odell, Our Lady of Good Help, because she had to suffer. She was ostracized by other Catholics, and as as was Mother Mariana with Our Lady of Good Success. And so, there is a price to pay. But our our Lord and Our Lady are uh, overly generous. I mean, they're just they're profusely generous and and paying us back for the things that we do suffer. Absolutely. For those just joining the program, you're listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. We're talking today with Joe Tremblay, the Adult Faith Formation Coordinator in the Department of the New Evangelization for the Diocese of Green Bay. Uh, Joe, thank you for thank you for that uh, explanation of of the history here. Um, what what can we learn from the life? There, I know there's not much written about uh, Venerable Mariana de Jesus Torres. It's a it's an apparition that happened in the 16th century, 17th century, as it were. What can what can we learn about how she lived her life in relation as she related to the apparitions of Our Lady of Good Success? Well, she didn't want any kind of notoriety or or, or fame, you know. So it was it was really her will um, to, to 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 kind of remain in obscurity. There were some rebellious sisters that she had to live with, that she had to to, to govern and and to to oversee. And she was willing to suffer great pains to expiate for their sins. And, um, you know, she was a woman of unwavering faith and, and love. And this is, this is something that um, I think, you know, um, very much like what St. Louis de Montfort talked about in the Christians of the latter times, is, you know, is to offer oneself um, as, as, as a sacrifice. It's all over the New Testament. And, and so whenever I give a talk, I, I talk about, you know, the, the virtue that's very much found in Mother Mariana, and, and that is offering yourself. Or, you know, St. Paul talks about, um, you know, offering your bodies as a living sacrifice to God and, and you know, uh, being a co-sufferer with Christ. And this is something that the saints talk about, and this is something that, um, this is a great virtue that uh, Mother Mariana lived out. And like you, I don't know much about her life, but I do know that she was willing to, to suffer for others so that others could live. And, and like St. Paul, you know, St. Paul said that um, death, you know, um, lives, lives in us so life can reign in you. And she was willing to do that for the sisters that she cared for. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you, thank you for that. I think that those are good insights into the life of uh, someone who lived Mary uh, very many years ago that we don't have a lot of details on. So I think those are great insights. And and uh, tell us tell us before you go today, Joe, um, where can they find out more about uh, your work uh, or your your speaking uh, engagements with um, the Diocese of Green Bay or. Tell us a little bit more about uh, where, where people can find out more about the work of the Department of the New Evangelization there at Green Bay. Yeah, if they can just, you know, they can, I don't have the, well, the, the website, but um, mm-hmm. if they Google New Evangelization um, at the Green Bay Diocese, you know, they will, they will come in contact with all the things that we're trying to do as a department. Mm-hmm. And, 
And uh, as our leader, you know, our shepherd, um, Bishop David Ricken, he is very much devoted to to Our Lady, and um, he knows that, um, you know, as as followers of our Lord, we have to walk in his footsteps, and sometimes that, that does mean, um, you know, to offer spiritual sacrifices for, for others. So we have all these programs that we're implementing right now um, that are try that are speaking to the needs of the people, and you know one particular you know talk that I'm going to give tomorrow is is on the road to Emmaus, mm-hmm. and uh, when our Lord walked with the two disciples to Emmaus um, after Good Friday and during His resurrection, and in that episode He joins their conversation, He listens, He joins them, He explains Scripture. And it really provides um, the basis for what we're doing, you know. So we're, I'm using some of my media experience. You know, I used to work at a Catholic radio station. Um, mm-hmm. I also write for my own uh, Catholic blog uh, called Skyview. And uh, and what I try to do is I, I try to join people's conversation to speak their language, but infuse it with the gospel truth. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the show today, and God bless you in your work. Yeah, thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. And that was Joe Tremblay uh, from the Department of the New Evangelization uh, for the Diocese of Green Bay. We thank him for joining us on today's program. And next up on the program is Matthew Arnold. Uh, Matthew Arnold is a Roman Catholic speaker, author, producer, and host of the radio program Shield of Faith, on Radio Maria, uh, that will be on later today, in fact. Um, he's the creative director of St. Joseph Communications and has produced a, dozens of audio and video presentations, including this great CD for Lighthouse Catholic Media entitled Our Lady of Good Success, Made Known for Our Times. Uh, welcome to, our, to the show today, Matthew. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. I just wanted to say, um, before we begin that I appreciate your work. I've actually been to the, the Miracle Hunter website on, on a number of occasions and found it very helpful. So it's an honor to great. speak with you. Great. No, this is great. I, uh, I have your CD uh, right here in front of me and was able to listen to it. Uh, a great amount of information about an apparition that we know very little about or there, there's very little information uh, known. So mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate uh, you putting the effort to put that together. So um I'd like you today to take us through a little bit of the history of Our Lady of Good Success. Give, paint the background picture for, for what happened in this apparition. All right. Well, first off, the, the, the title, of course, it, <laughs> I think it does uh, sounds funny to the modern American ear. Our Lady of Good Success kind of sounds like some Catholic version of the health and wealth gospel. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but good success or buen successo, it's actually a biblical term. It goes all the way back to, to Psalm uh, 118 or 117 in the, in the Vulgate rendering. Everybody knows verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. But the next verse, verse 25 says, O Lord, grant us salvation, O Lord, grant good success. And mm-hmm. so when uh, a pair of uh, Spanish monks who were uh, uh, heading to Rome to uh, get approval for their new order, which is a, uh, a Franciscan order dedicated to St. Francis of Paola, they uh, discovered a statue in a cave near Trigueras in Spain that nobody, you know, had any knowledge of, and they took it with them. And uh, Pope Paul V, then uh, in around 1606, gave approval to their order and also had them take that statue back with them to put in their church, and he named her Our Lady of Good Success. Mm. Uh, although, you know, they, um, 
he named the statue, gave her that title. But that title in Spain was actually uh, goes all the way back to uh, at least the early Middle Ages, around the time of El Cid and the, and the reconquest from, uh, of Spain from uh, Muslim domination in the Middle Ages. People uh, prayed to Our Lady of Good Success. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it goes back to the conception of sisters, uh, who, you know, they were founded in Spain. Uh, uh, Blessed Mary of Agreda was a conception of sister, for example. Sure. And uh, they uh, were much blessed by, by God and very much devoted to Our Lady, especially uh, the time from the conception uh, to, um, or, or the conception of Jesus, I should say, you know, from the Annunciation to the Nativity. And for them, this is the good success, all right? This is the, the, the great event or, or the happy ending, however you want to translate it, um, that, that Christ was born into the world after he was carried for nine months in the womb of our Blessed Mother. Absolutely. And so it started kind of as a, among the... the common people, they would turn to Our Lady of Good Success uh, in uh, desiring a successful childbirth, you know, uh, pregnant women and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so marriage a pro-life uh, kind of thing. But then, uh, you know, her intercession very powerful, and then they soon turned to her in all their necessities. Sure. Uh, and, like, and like many devotions, uh, they originated in Spain and made it to the New World in, in all of uh, South and Central America. So we have these Duplicate titles, Our Lady of Guadalupe is another example. The sure. devotion originates in Spain, and then, of course, the most famous one is in Mexico. And, and now we have Quito, Ecuador, uh, mm-hmm. Our Lady of Good Success there. So what can you tell us about the, uh, the devotion as it arose there? Sure. Mother, uh, well, Sister Mariana was still a novice, and she was only uh, like 14 when she left Spain to come to the New World. And she took her final, final vows in Ecuador and uh, was named uh, Sister Mariana of Jesus. And, uh, and she actually, there, there was a storm at sea on the passing, and she actually saw a vision of Our Lady uh, in conflict with the devil. Right? And, and so that was kind of her first uh, mystical experience regarding Our Lady. And then uh, during her time in the convent, she was, uh, I think at the time she was, Mother Abbess, you know, she'd been elected Abbess of the convent, and was in prayer in the upper choir, and had a vision of, uh, I guess, her apparition. There was, you know, Our Lady appeared to her as uh, Our Lady of Good Success, that she said, I am Mary of Good Success, mm. and made a whole bunch of, you know, startling prophecies about uh, what was going to happen in Ecuador and in the Church and the world over, you know, the next 400 years. Absolutely, and... Uh... Can you, can you walk us through some of the, uh, we talked about some of them earlier in the show, but t- tell us some of the prophecies you think that, uh, that are really important for our world today that translate uh, all these centuries later uh, for modern times. Sure. Well, I mean, the first thing that I would mention is that, uh, you know, she made uh, predictions, very kind of specific predictions about, for example, a pope in the 19th century who would proclaim the dogmas of the Immaculate Conception and papal infallibility, but who would become a prisoner in the Vatican because, you know, a wicked prince would, would, or earthly prince would usurp the papal states. And, of course, all of that came true, I mean, to the letter in the Pontificate mm-hmm. of Blessed Pius IX. Uh, you know, and this prediction was made some 300 years before those events. Right. So, you know, it was already quite startling. And then she said to Mother Mariana, though, that there were these specific uh, prophecies about what would be happening in, in the Church and the world after the midpoint of the 20th century. And, of course, that's the time that we're living in now, the, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, after 1950, uh, which... Coincidentally, it's about the time that the message of Fatima became well-known in the United States. Just sure. One of those interesting, well, of course, there's no coincidences, really. 
<laughs> but uh, in uh, she she appeared to to Mother Mariana seven times over the course of forty years, from fifteen ninety four to sixteen thirty four, and and you know she asked for the statue of her to be made and so forth, and and these other things that are specific to the convent. But then she spoke about the world. She said there'd be a an almost uh, total corruption, a general corruption of customs, uh, and and of course and, and certainly we see that. I'm sure everybody listening has their own you know. Uh, abandoned custom that they can think of, but uh, the first one that leaps to my mind is just attendance at Holy Mass. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, back in the 1950s, you you had maybe three quarters of the Catholics in this country going to church every Sunday, and now it's more like 25 percent. Mm-hmm. You know, again, uh, she said the sacrament of matrimony will will be attacked, and iniquitous laws will make it easy to live in sin. Again, is the sacrament sacrament of matrimony under attack? You know, that, that, that wouldn't have entered into the mind of, of a person in the early 17th century. Right. It's a strange prediction that doesn't fit the day, the time and the day there, but now it's uh, the biggest news uh, <laughs> every day that we hear about. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and she also then, you know, in, in a kind of more of a specific thing, she said that, uh, that people wouldn't get married in the church and they wouldn't baptize their children. Mm-hmm. And again, right here in the United States, we've seen since, uh, since the 60s, you know, we've seen a, something like a 50% decline in both among Catholics, uh, church weddings and, and uh, baptisms. You know, and again, of course, we've seen the uh, annulment rate rise from, I think, 1967, there was something like 338 annulments, and by 2002, there's annually 50,000 or more. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not casting aspersions on, on, you know, the people involved or the church for granting them or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, there's an awful lot more people that are, that are uh, appealing to that process and being judged as people that, yeah, that you didn't understand what the sacrament is, you didn't know what you were getting to, or, or you, know, the, the, you know, somebody entered into it in, in, a, in some unlawful way. Which, right. Again, you know, uh, wasn't terribly common <laughs> 400 years ago. Sure. Now, I want to step back just a little bit. Uh, you, you made a brief mention of uh, the statue that was uh, built in the convent there. Yeah. And it, it, there's sort of a miraculous story that... Uh, abounds on the Internet and other places regarding the, uh, the statue. What, what, what can you tell us about the statue, and what is known through the literature of the time, and what seems to be legend? Well, um, you know, we have the, the uh, uh, apparition of Our Lady asking Mother Mariana to commission the statue. And Mother Marianda, I, her response was something along the lines of, uh, and this is my paraphrase, but it's like, I don't know nothing about making those statues. <laughs> right? I mean, she's a cloistered nun. <clears throat> who doesn't have contact with the world, how's she going to get a statue made? And Our Lady said, don't worry about it, I'll take, I'll take care of it. You know, I'll, I'll find you the sculpture, I'll, you know, you just, uh, uh, you just commission the statue. And of course, the first thing she had to do was ask the bishop for permission. And she was afraid that he wouldn't believe her. He wouldn't believe that Mary had really appeared to her and that she wanted this done and so forth. And she kind of kept putting it off until, you know, really ten years went by. You know, and our, and our Lady appeared again and, and said, I need you to do this, you know, don't delay any longer and um, ultimately accused her of uh, the fault of disobedience, mm-hmm. which apparently, if you want to motivate a, a cloistered nun, that's the, you know, just have Mary show up. And, uh, because, you know, right the next day, she's off to the bishop, who said, you know, why didn't you come sooner? Sure. So it all, it all worked out uh, very well. But, you know, the, uh, at that first meeting, when Our Lady asked for the statue, and she said, I want it uh, made with me holding a crozier in my right hand to show that I'm, you know, my... my uh, that I'm the real abbess of the convent, you know, my authority in the convent here, and, and with the infant Jesus in my left arm uh, to show, you know, my power of, of interceding with our Lord and so forth. 
and uh, and she had mother remove her cincture to to measure mm-hmm. how tall the statue should be, mm-hmm. and mother held it at her feet, and Mary held the other end, and as the story goes, it was too short. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Mother Mariana says that uh, the infant Jesus reached out and took the end, and then it stretched miraculously to be the right mm-hmm. You know, uh, just a wonderful story. Sure. Um, and then, uh, of course, when the, the statue is finally gets around to being made, um, it's uh, now January of, uh, or it's, it's September, rather, of 1610. Her feast day is, is the Feast of the Presentation, right, which is February 2nd. So... Uh, the sculptor in 1610, he decides that he doesn't have uh, uh, the right paints to finish the statues. And they're carved in the Baroque manner. They're, they're made of wood, which mm-hmm. is then painted and polished, right? And so it looks lifely. And then, and then, like the infant of Prague, they put real clothes on them, mm-hmm. right? So cloth vestments. Sure. So anyway, here it is, September 1610, he says the local paint isn't good enough, and he's going to go to Colombia to get Spanish paints and then bring them back. And he, says, and he promises he'll get back to finish uh, by mm-hmm. the feast day. Well... On the 15th of January, one day before the sculptor returned, as according to Mother Mariana, uh, the archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, uh, completed the statue miraculously. Uh, that they appeared in the, in the tabernacle, she said, and then uh, in the next instant they were with her in the upper choir, uh, accompanied by St. Francis of Assisi, mm-hmm. uh, who, and it was under his direction that they changed the Because, you see, the sculptor had made the statue according to her description, but sure. then the angels, you know, made it the way that uh, she had actually appeared to Mother. <laughs> sure, and uh, sure. which is a wonderful thing. And sure. um, and I have a little, I got a little insight, which I, you know, this is not. I'm not wearing a catechist hat here. This is just on my own reflection. That it's interesting that you look at the Marian apparitions around the world, and it may be uh, some property of the glorified body that people have a tendency to see Mary in these apparitions as representing their ideal of beauty. Mm. You know, so that statue in Quito represents the ideal of, of, you know, beauty for a Spanish person in the Baroque era. Whereas, you know, uh, uh, here in Michigan, the, the, a German lady, layperson, saw Mary, and she was looked like a Nordic princess with the blonde hair and, uh, and you know, right. and the crown. So where the, Our Lady of the Levang uh, looked like an Asian woman and so on. Mm-hmm. So maybe, mm-hmm. we can only, maybe we can only experience that beauty based on, you know, our understanding of it. Interesting. Yeah, just just a little something <laughs> hit sure. me in the head. But you know, ultimately though, the sculptor returns the next day, sees the mm-hmm. statue, falls on his knees, says, "No human hand has done this," and runs off mm-hmm. to get the bishop, who had the same reaction. And then he actually made a notarized statement: "This this is a miracle." Mm-hmm. And and the reason is because that the statues. I mean, you know, you can argue about are they more beautiful or whatever than other statues. I think that's subjective. But ultimately, the statues that they beheld were not. I mean, it was the same piece of wood, but it was no longer the same sculpture. Sure. Right? They hadn't just yeah. been completed, they'd been transformed. And right. that's why they considered it miraculous. And then, of course, uh, um, there's been a number of, of miracles locally and so forth um, that are uh, associated with the intercession of the Blessed Virgin by appeals made there with the statue, and, and even miracles associated with the statue itself. Absolutely. And and before we wrap up uh, the program today... Uh, Curious. One of the things that I, I think is fascinating is that this appears to be the very first uh, apparition that's approved by the Church uh, by a bishop giving some sort of a statement or approval about uh, the authenticity. Uh, previously, the, they, they didn't do investigations of this sort. Uh, but what can you tell us about the sort of level of approval? Uh, we, we know it's an approved apparition by our Church. Uh, 
Has there right. been any Vatican approval in the sense well, of... Well, uh, yeah. Now, as, uh, as you know, really, I mean, uh, for the faithful to, to be devoted to a thing, you don't require proof in the, uh, approval right. from the Vatican. That's right. You need it from that's the local right. ordinary. And that's the local right. ordinary has given approval from the year 1611 until now, yes. you know, all the way right. up to uh, the current archbishop, who's uh, Fausto Gabriel Traves Traves. I, I, sorry about my shame. <laughs> it's so awful. But, um, uh, yeah, so it's enjoyed the local approbation of the bishops since, virtually since the apparitions were happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it got uh, a more extraordinary approbation from the Holy See in 1991 because the, uh, the, the bishop there uh, at the time was uh, Antonio Cardinal Gonzalez, petitioned Rome to do a canonical coronation. Now, any bishop can crown a statue of Mary, but mm-hmm. they wanted to give her the title, our, or, uh, the title Queen of Quito. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then for that they needed Vatican approval. In fact, I understand the approval of the Pope, and and so and that was granted. And in the same year, then the Vatican made the Conception's Convent Church, where the statue resides, an archdiocesan Marian sanctuary, which means it's okay. an official place of pilgrimage, just like Lord sure. Fatima. Well, that would be it. All right, that uh, <laughs> that that is definite Vatican approval right there. So. Well, good, Matthew. Uh, we, we could talk uh, all day about this, and uh, I know you have your own radio show coming up on Radio Maria later today, so uh, we thank you for, for making, making the time uh, to join us and, uh, and to explain the history of Our Lady of Good Success. So thank sure. you. Hey, uh, just one, one quick aside before I go. If people are interested in, in learning more about it, I do have a website, a new website that's dedicated to that, which is maryofgoodsuccess.org. And uh, you you have a website yourself? Uh, yeah, that one's easy to remember. Yep. MatthewArnold.org, yeah. <laughs> okay, so people can find out more information about you and your speaking and other projects for St. Joseph Communications there as well. Absolutely. So, great. Thank you so much, and you, uh, hopefully Michael. we'll have you on another time. Thanks Very so much, good. Matthew. God bless. So that was Matthew Arnold uh, from St. Joseph Communications. We thank him so much for joining us on today's program. And that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank uh, Matthew and Joe Tremblay for joining us on today's show. Be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and for keeping up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world with 365dayswithmary.com. Thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.